Um, good morning, good morning. Uh, good to see you, thank you. It's good to be with you. Um, my name is Denzel, and um, yeah, it's just good to be with you. Uh, thank you for all who are joining us on um, uh, our Sunday online service, and uh, we pray that it's been a blessing so far. And um, today we're continuing in our series, uh, Grow Up, um, Unpacking First Corinthians. And um, over the course of the series, uh, Paul has addressed plenty of issues from division in the church, where the church is dividing um, into camps. <laughs> and um, we've uh, looked at relationships and marriage and singleness, which was an interesting one for us as a church. Um, we've looked at Christian liberty and um, freedom and considering the conscience of someone else. Uh, we've looked at idolatry. And now we've entered into a new section, uh, which we could give the subheading, uh, the church gathering, which starts in chapter 11. Um, and so far, we've heard about gender roles in the church. And last week, uh, Adam unpacked um, um, the Corinthian church gathering together for communion and them doing so with drunkenness and classism and selfishness. And here we arrive in the text at another interesting topic, uh, which could go under another subheading, uh, spiritual gifts. So that's what we'll be getting into today. And just by way of observation, um, one thing is clear about the Corinthian church, um, and that is, is that it's an immature church, hence the sermon series title, Grow Up. There is much to be desired about this church. There is constant conflict and drama and bickering. But what we're unable to get away from is how Paul describes them in chapter 1. Uh, he says they are sanctified in Christ, a church called to be saints, enriched in Christ Jesus in all speech and knowledge. And I thought we may look at ourselves uh, in our church or even in our own personal lives, um, and we might think there is much to be desired here. We might think we're immature and need to do better and we're slacking. Or you might look at another church or other believers and think they are so immature. It's, it's, I'm, I'm not even sure if they're Christian. But here lies an encouragement for us and a challenge for us. Wherever we are in our walk with God, we may be struggling and going through seasons where we feel that we're not progressing, but be encouraged. The Lord is still working in you and even in our church. Um, and maturity is gradual. It's not an instant process. It's a gradual process. So be reminded that the Lord is working in you, even when it may appear that he's not. But also be challenged. Uh, the Lord may be doing similar works in someone that you're ready to write off as not being a Christian. So um, we ought to be encouraged that we ourselves are immature, or we might be immature, um, but we are still called saints, sanctified in Christ Jesus, um, and be challenged to not be so quick to write off someone else uh, who the Lord may be sanctifying. I mean, I start with that because the Corinthian church appears to be a place where, surprisingly, they are somewhat engaging with the Holy Spirit, um, albeit they need to be corrected, uh, but it doesn't seem to take away the fact that the Spirit is still present. And in this section, Paul doesn't say, stop trying to use spiritual gifts, um, but there's a sense in which the way that they're engaging with spiritual gifts is redeemable. Um, I've used the phrase spiritual gifts and... Uh, a spiritual gift is essentially a gracious gift or ability given by the Holy Spirit to a believer to manifest his presence for the common good. So the church at Corinth are desiring these gifts, um, but it seems there are real problems in their approach, and they are abusing the gifts of the Spirit. So today's text is the beginning of Paul responding to these issues directly, uh, and hopefully we will also have some more clarity on the spiritual gifts as we go through the text. Um, so I will read, uh, and our text today is 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 1 to 11. Um, and as you turn there or scroll there, uh, I think it may be helpful 
if I briefly clarify the position that I'm bringing to you today on the issue of spiritual gifts. Um, and this isn't to cause division, like in the Corinthian church, to say I'm of a certain camp or I'm under a certain leader, so everyone else is invalid. Um, but there is discussion around this issue, and uh, some people believe that the gifts uh, were used by the apostles and only the apostles in the first century at the inception of the church um, and have now ceased, and others believe that the gifts continue to be available. And the view being brought to you today is that the gifts continue to be available. Um, but I'm not going to divulge uh, any further on that. But just to help you, if you disagree, agree. If you don't know, that's where I stand. Um, so with that said, I will read and pray, and uh, we can get into the text. So 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we are able to hear your word um, I bless you, Lord, for the privilege to be able to speak your word, even from lips that are unworthy. Um, I pray, Lord, that as I share and as your people listen, that you would water the hearts of those who are listening. Water the hearts of your children. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I uh, proceed today, I thought it would be helpful to base my points around basic questions, as opposed to the points, that um, the text seems to answer, and potentially that the Corinthians uh, may have even asked Paul. Um, and this is to help us follow Paul's line of thought and kind of feed into what his main point is. So I have three basic questions. The first, who has spiritual gifts? The second, do we receive different gifts from different sources? And question three, uh, why has God made these gifts available? Um, and as I answer the questions, uh, hopefully you'll remember them. Um, Q&A, catechism is quite helpful to remember information. Um, so I'll answer the question, but I'll also try and apply these and give us some things to think about uh, individually, but as a church. So let's begin with question one. Who has spiritual gifts? Now, when we look at verses one to three, uh, we need to understand the problems that are going on at Corinth. As I've previously mentioned, the gifts are being abused, and this is causing real confusion and division in the church. So it seems that when the church is gathered together, there is disorder and anarchy because there is an overemphasis or elevation of one particular gift over and against other kinds of spiritual gifts. Uh, the background of Corinth's, um, the, the city of Corinth uh, is, a, is a pagan Hellenistic background. Um, so they may have had uh, certain ideologies about uh, the gods and they had very pantheistic uh, cultures. Um, and one understanding that may have creeped into the church or crept into the church um, is the understanding that people are closer to the gods by being overtly spiritual. So typically outside the church and in pagan spaces, closeness to God is shown by ecstatic, bizarre, trance-like behavior. And because the gifts are spiritual, um, it's possible that this would have uh, 
infected their mindset and caused them to elevate the gifts that appeared to be supernatural or spectacular. Um, and they would have elevated them much higher than um, uh, the other gifts because they were perceived as making people closer with God and therefore more spiritual than everyone else. In chapter 14, we see that the gift of tongues particularly is the one that is uh, being elevated as the top gift. Um, and the way, they, the way they used it may have appealed to their inclination to be drawn to bizarre behavior that made them feel that they were closer to God. Um, so they elevated this particular gift. Um, and this kind of problem causes more problems. As we've already seen, the Corinthian church is already a divided church. So even more factions are created when people begin to think that they're more spiritual than others. It could be that one set of believers uh, would have deemed themselves as the superstar spirituals who would have thought that they had uh, a higher spiritual level than everyone else. Uh, and they would flaunt their gifts and look down their noses at the rest of the church who didn't have the same gift. They would have been arrogant and would not only elevate the gifts themselves, but in having the gifts, they would elevate themselves because they harnessed the gifts and were therefore more important than others. Another set of believers may have believed that the spiritual gifts that they had uh, weren't good enough, so they would have felt discouraged by the superstar's arrogance and become resentful and jealous uh, because their gifts didn't appear as spiritual. And another set of believers uh, may have been skeptical and ready to write off uh, the gifts altogether because everyone's just moving mad, so I'm not even sure if it's the Holy Spirit moving. It's just it's too much. <laughs> So in verse 1 to 3, Paul provides a corrective to some of these issues and says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And the essence of what Paul is saying here is, let's not forget, you used to be pagans and would worship mute, dumb idols that cannot speak. And you were deceived by things that cannot speak. These idols are, these idols are gods that don't even exist, and you were led astray by them. He's already mentioned in chapter 8, verse 4 to 6, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no god but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So we know that an idol is no thing. But him calling them idols, uh, him calling the idols mute or dumb, is to remind us of Psalm 100 in, or Psalms 115, verses 4 to 8. And it says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. And so do all who trust in them. And the key point here is that these idols are spiritually useless. They can't even speak or smell. They can't do anything. And verse 8 of that psalm, which says, those who make them uh, and trust in them become like them, shows us that you become like what you worship. So the Corinthians who worshipped these idols because, um, became like these idols and therefore, these idols that are spiritually useless being worshipped by the Corinthians causes the Corinthians to be spiritually useless before they were Christians. And Paul is saying, don't forget this. But then he goes on to say, no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, what I take that to mean is that Paul here is drawing a contrast between what an unbeliever says who doesn't have the Holy Spirit and what a believer will say and how the believer is able to say it. And he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except 
by the Holy Spirit. That is, without the work of the Holy Spirit in you to give you the ability to do so, you are not able to confess that Jesus is Lord. And Paul's contrast between an unbeliever saying Jesus is Lord, uh, sorry, and Paul's contrast between a believer saying Jesus is accursed and believers saying Jesus is Lord is not a far-fetched one. The Bible makes it clear that the world cannot help but reject God. Romans 1 verse 21 to 23 says, For although they, uh, they being the world, knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him because they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, idols, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is who the Corinthians used to be without God. This is who we are without God. The world is not merely indifferent to God. It actively rejects him. Um, I had a bit of a, a heated conversation earlier this week with someone, and I was trying to explain the gospel to them. And um, it got to a point where he asked me, what do Christians believe Jesus is, or who do we believe Jesus is? And I said, Jesus is God. And he now turned around and said, nah, it's backwards. Jesus is a dog. <laughs> and what, he, and what, what that says is that what he says is not dissimilar um, to saying Jesus is accursed. It's slightly different words, but it shows the attitude that the world is predisposed to. It does not want God. It doesn't want to know God and is therefore spiritually useless. So Paul's point in saying that no one can say Jesus is Lord is that when we come to faith to save in knowledge of Jesus, um, we don't do so because we are spiritually useful or we are able to understand the truth about God. We are actually predisposed to reject God. We can have all the intellectual capacity um, that this world has to offer. We can have all the wisdom of the world, but we cannot understand the truth about God without the powerful work and supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in the human to awaken him or her to the truth. And Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 to 14. These things God has revealed to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except by the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It is a work of the Holy Spirit himself to deliver us from spiritual uselessness and being deceived and led by dumb idols. So by saying this, Paul is leveling the playing field. The Corinthians have no ground to act like they are super spiritual because they, because they were previously spiritually useless. And the only reason they became spiritually useful um, and know the truth that Jesus is Lord is because the Holy Spirit enlightened them. And this is given to every believer. And that same truth stands the same for us. We do not make ourselves spiritually useful or spiritual. We are natural without God. It is a supernatural work and gifting of the Holy Spirit within our dead souls to reveal to us that Jesus Christ is the Lord in a world that rejects God. It is a miracle. It is the miracle of the Holy Spirit that allows us to understand that he was fully God clothed in a human body, that he walked the, the earth and lived a sinless life and died and rose again, and that he is the Lord to which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is God. This is the most powerful work of the Holy Spirit, 
that causes us to understand and truly say, Jesus is Lord. And it's important to note that it's not just stating the phrase, you know, I could take five pounds and go to Lewisham, I can make anyone say, Jesus is Lord. Um, but Jesus himself said in Matthew, 20, Matthew 7, 21, that no one, or sorry, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not just simply the confessing of the mouth, but it's also the belief in the heart and the living of the life in tune with that belief and confession. And that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Now, the implication of this in the context of spiritual gifts uh, is that the truest expression of true spirituality is not how fantastic or spectacular your gift is, but it's actually the wholehearted acknowledgement of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I hope that I've made that clear. 1 John 4, 2 to 3 says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So in answer to question one, who can have spiritual gifts? The answer is that every believer in the Lord Jesus has been given the gift of the Spirit and it is first shown not in fantastic spiritual gifts, which we'll we'll mention later, but in being gifted with the Holy Spirit himself to live under the submission of Jesus' lordship, which all Christians have. So contrary to Corinthian thought, there are no levels. There, are not the, there is not the, the super spiritual and the kind of spiritual and the not so spiritual in the body of Christ. There are not the haves or the have-nots. But Paul further says in verse 7, to each has been given a manifestation of the Spirit. In verse 6, he says, it is the same God that empowers them in some people. Let's read that again. It is the same God that empowers them in everyone, and that's everyone in the body. And the Corinthians ought to have understood this, and we also need to understand it, or we will have a deep misunderstanding of spiritual gifts and think someone is spiritual based, or more spiritual based on their distinct gifting. And um, you might be thinking, mm, that's not really relevant to me, but this kind of thinking isn't um, completely foreign to our times. Um, I've heard in the past, many churches uh, have been known for saying, if you don't speak in tongues, you can't be saved. Um, I've even heard uh, urban legends that certain churches um, will lock their doors on every member of the youth ministry until they're able to speak in tongues or nobody is going home because they think that is how the Spirit works. These things ought not be because they are a defamation against the gospel of God's free grace and they misunderstand the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. Participation in the things of the Holy Spirit is attested by all who truly confess Jesus as Lord. So Paul's point and lesson here uh, for those in Corinth and us today is that the Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of some believers, a few believers. No, in the lives of all believers, not just those who appear to be spiritual. There are not those who are anointed um, and those who are not anointed uh, because First John 2.20 says, But you, plural, have, anoint, have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Uh, we all have, we're all anointed. <laughs> we all have the Spirit. And by way of application in our lives and in our church, uh, do we adopt that kind of misunderstanding of the work of the Spirit? Not even particularly to overt spiritual gifts, because I think we're a bit reserved on that, um, but generally in the life of the gathering, do we look at others and feel discouraged and think, I'm not on their level. I don't, read as, I don't read the Bible as much. I don't read as much books or theology as so-and-so a person. I don't pray as much. Do we think in that way that categorizes the super spiritual and the not so spiritual? Do we elevate uh, others or ourselves in our own minds and think, people ain't on my level. 
They don't pray like I do. They don't read theology like I do. They don't come evangelism or prayer like I do. We should put away that attitude because the Holy Spirit is at work um, in all of our lives, in all believers. And so we move on to the second question. Um, Do we receive different gifts from different sources? Um, Please read with me uh, verse 4 to 6. And it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. The answer to my question should be simple enough. Do we receive different gifts from different sources? No. There are different gifts from the one Spirit, the one source. Um, But there's two kind of important facets of Paul's point that we would need to highlight, and that is the diversity of the gifts and the oneness of the source. Um, So when we think about diversity of the gifts, um, Paul's use of words here are particularly important to how we understand the gifts. Uh, He doesn't just use the word gifts, um, but he also mentions service and activities. And what makes this significant is that in using these words, uh, it seems to show that Paul wants to display a full range of gifts, not just strictly spectacular, overtly supernatural gifts, but service and activities can actually refer to helps in various kinds, which is both spiritual, but also practical help and operations. So the implication is that the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the gifts that the Holy Spirit distributes do not all have to look overtly supernaturally, uh, overtly supernatural. Um, some gifts are practical, uh, yet they are still gifts that the Spirit himself is working in the church. Um, you might misunderstand and think, well, if some gifts look natural, then surely it's my, my own effort. Uh, but the point here is also that it's the Spirit working in those gifts as well. And um, we know this is true. Uh, that the Holy Spirit distributes both supernaturally uh, charged, not charged, but looking gifts and uh, gifts that are a bit more practical. Um, Because the list we're given here in verses 8 to 10 um, is not fully exhaustive of all the spiritual gifts that are available, but it still includes a wide range of kinds of gifts. So here, uh, verses 8 to 10, we have the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, uh, and speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues. There are some that are overtly spiritual, like miracles, healings, and tongues. But some may not be as supernaturally recognizable, um, and they may appear more natural than supernatural, like faith, uh, the utterance of wisdom, or the utterance of knowledge. You don't have to shake or do a shimmy in order to speak an utterance of knowledge. even prophecy, you know, the Corinthians weren't as keen on prophecy, which is why in verse four, uh, chapter 14, he emphasizes prophecy, um, but we'll get into that later. Um, yeah, there's, there, there, there is a diversity of the kinds of gifts, and we also see this in verse 28. On the one hand, there are the offices of the apostles, miracles, healings, which appear supernatural, uh, while there is also helping and administration which seem not to be so spectacular. Uh, elsewhere, Paul lists spiritual gifts in Romans 12. He also includes the not-so-spectacular gifts like exhortation, generosity, service, and hospitality, um, prophecy. It's very rare that we, we say or think of these gifts as uh, uh, powerful workings. Like if someone's... Uh, you know, being hospitable, you never hear her fridge was filled with the Holy Spirit. You just kind of hear, oh yeah, they're a nice nice person. But these are actually works of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So spiritual gifts are a diversity of various kinds of gifts. So for the Corinthian that is claiming to be the most spiritual, uh, this serves as a corrective to such a narrow view of thinking that the gifts are only those that appear supernatural. They are all supernatural. And we would do well to not think of any gift as being better or worse than another because the diversity of the gifts comes from the one source. This is the second facet, the one source, the Holy Spirit. In verse 8 to 11, he says, 
For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. Paul largely emphasizes that all of these gifts are from the same source. And I think he emphasizes it because he is really wanting to drive home the unity that the church should be experiencing under the same Spirit. When speaking on spiritual gifts in Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body There is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Spiritual gifts are diverse, but they come from one spirit. This is a point that we can't get away from. There ought to be no divisions in the way that it's appearing in the church at Corinth because they all have the same spirit. We know that they were spiritually useless without the Holy Spirit, but now it is the one Holy Spirit who is working in all of them, so that they may be all joined in the unity of the Spirit. And just as a quick side point, um, it must be emphasized, it is the Holy Spirit working in them. Verse 11 makes it clear that it is the same Spirit who empowers the gifts, which means He causes them to function. He causes them to work and be effective. Um, Not the Corinthians and not us. We don't cause them to function and be effective. The Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit makes them useful. And he is the one that distributes them as he wills. Um, And this is important to understand because people very often might think the Holy Spirit is some kind of force that once you're in a certain mood or, you know, the vibes are right and um, the atmosphere is thick enough. I remember uh, uh, one charismatic pastor says, when the atmosphere is pregnant, (laughs) when it's pregnant, you can harness the the force the Holy Spirit um, gives or you can harness the force of the Holy Spirit and use it to enhance your experience. (laughs) we must not be mistaken. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a person. He is God. He is the Spirit of the Father and of the Son. He is not an experience or a feeling or a force. He has a will and a desire and the ability to impart spiritual gifts as and when he pleases. In Psalms, it says our God is in the heaven. He does whatever he pleases. This applies also to the Spirit of God the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, he is the one that sovereignly chooses the gifts. We don't pick our own gifting like we're at a spiritual vending machine, but the person of the Holy Spirit is the one who apportions and distributes the gifts. So the Corinthians and us ought not to divide over which gift we have or boast about the gift we have, because 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? The diversity of the gifts we received are used by the Holy Spirit, not for ourselves, but to accomplish unity in the body. And they are empowered by the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, even though these gifts are diverse. And we see God's love for diversity in everything whether it be in creation and the solar system that is made up of complex, incredible, individual, diverse parts that cause it to exist as a functioning whole. God's glory is not on display in a singular way where we experience it in a one-dimensional, individual fashion. But his glory is seen and 
is experienced through a range of countless and diverse means. Um, the Christian rapper Shailin says, you can see God's glory through the telescope and the microscope. Creation itself ranges from the things so large and majestic, yet so unreachable that we need a telescope to see, but as well as the small, minuscule, tiny elements that we need a microscope to see. Creation itself is a wide array of God showing off his diverse, manifold wisdom. Not only this, but God's new creation, which is us, his people, that he made for himself, are not made up of one ethnicity. We aren't just one culture. We don't wear the same clothes. We don't speak the same. We don't speak in one way. The church is not a monolith. But there are vast numbers of cultures, people groups, languages, accents, appearances, personalities, voices, areas of expertise, Yet we are to be united under the one lordship of Christ with the same goal to give glory to God forever. And we do so by the one Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the Lord delights in variety. You know, he, he purposely uses it. It's not an accident. He enjoys diversity. And this teaches us something very profound about him. Even in and of himself, our God is a variety. He is a diverse unity. He is one God, but triune in nature. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are three, working in distinct ways, yet are one being. So it's no surprise here that the Holy Spirit wants to work in diverse ways in the church, in both the ways that we can see and are grand and spectacular. Think telescope but he also wants to work in the hidden and unnoticeable ways, think the microscope. Yet it is, this, it is the same Holy Spirit. The Lord, our Lord, desires unity, not uniformity. The Lord desires unity, not uniformity. And he does so in order that our coming together will reflect him, his diverse unity. God does, God, God does not work in a, uh, he's not in the business of working in a way that creates assembly line, factory products, where we all look the same and do the exact same thing. Yet this is not a compromise, uh, or it's not, it should not be a compromise of our unity. God is far more acquainted with diversity than our postmodern tolerant society could ever claim to be. The wisdom of the, and of the tolerance in our world, um, or that our world offers, is not unity, but it's really undercover uniformity. Because once your opinion slightly deviates from the popular um, opinion on the latest social issue, you're cancelled. But within the church, the Holy Spirit wants to manifest the truest kind of unity that sees and acknowledges the differences, yet keeps us in the bond of peace of the Spirit and causes us to remain as one body with many different parts. And Paul explains that further in verses 12 to 31, but um, I'll leave that for day for next week to, to deal with. So what can we take from this? I think the general principle of diverse, of diverse unity should affect how we see the church. The church is not a one-size-fits-all kind of organism. The church, the people, uh, ought to be dynamic and multifaceted. We ought not to be a monotone choir that uh, sings the same bland note. We ought to be an orchestra made up of diverse instruments that aren't the same but complement each other in symphony and in harmony as we live for God. And spiritual gifts help us to do that. Which leads to my final question, question three. Why has God made these gifts available? And I believe the answer is found in verse seven. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The spiritual gifts that are given are for the common good. That is, they are for the good of the church. 
the good of others in the body of Christ. And I think this is a big focus behind this whole section, even behind the whole book. Uh, but particularly in, particularly in this section, that is quite a large focus. In, in chapter uh, 13, Paul dedicates the whole verse to love. Um, he essentially says that gifts are useless if we don't have love for, for others. And he tells them in chapter 14, verse 1, they are to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. But the focus here is on love. Chapter 14, he zooms in a bit more uh, on the gifts of tongues and prophecy. Um, but the recurring principle is that the gift that is to be most desired is the one that most builds up the church. In chapter 14, verse 12, he says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up yourself. I've read it wrong. He says, strive to excel in building up the church. Chapter 14, verse 26, he says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. In chapter 14, verse 3, he encourages prophecy, not because it's overtly supernatural, but because it's useful for upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation of other people. In chapter 14, verse 5, he encourages tongues along with uh, interpretation specifically because, it's, um, because when it's done with interpretation, um, that's when it's most useful for the building up of the church. Therefore, spiritual gifts are not about having ecstatic experiences or harnessing the power of an impersonal Holy Spirit or uh, about presenting yourself as spiritual or showing us that you're closest to, the, to, to God or using your gifts for your own advantage. But it's about, being, it's about using it to build up the body. It is in view not of the individual good, but of the common good. Even in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, which I think is just uh, amazing, when he mentions spiritual gifts, it's expressly about the building up of the church. And Paul says, so Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, grow up, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, in speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself in love. The gifts are here so we can grow up. I mentioned the sermon series title earlier. It's not a coincidence. The gifts are to build up others, not ourselves. The gifts are for the sake of unity, for the sake of maturity and growth that we might grow up that gifts are for the sake of love, for the sake of truth. And I think this operates under two key principles. Principle one, the wisdom of the cross. And principle two, the interdependency of the body. Spiritual gifts, when properly used, operate under the wisdom of the cross because it requires that we don't seek our own advantage, but sacrificially, we seek the good of others, even at our own expense. Because that is what the Lord Jesus did for us. And we ought to replicate, replicate this idea to each other, or for each other, sorry. Philippians 2 says, do, not, oh, sorry, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, 
but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We've seen Paul in chapters 8 to 10 speak about laying down rights for the sake of others as he follows Christ. And this is in line with the wisdom of the cross in all its humble selflessness and self-giving. And I think this point continues in this context. The wisdom of the world teaches us to grab everything we can for our own advantage. But having the common view, um, the common good in view helps us to understand Spiritual gifts not ought to be used, or ought not to be used, sorry, um, for our own advantage, but to build up others. And principle two, this is because God has structured the church in such a way that we are dependent upon each other, whether we like it or not. We need each other. Uh, through Jesus, God has united us with himself but he has also united us with each other so that he might work within us together in community. That's why if you think spiritual gifts are to benefit yourself um, or to make yourself feel spiritual, you have a wrong view of the gifts of the Spirit. God wants to make himself known in community, which is why there is such deep stress on the unity of church over the whole New Testament. And through the Holy Spirit working in us, he can cultivate that unity in us. Pastor Sam Storms was helpful in understanding this. And he makes the point that the gifts are tools God gives us for building up the body. Because the church is in need, we lack energy, we lack insight, we lack inspiration, we lack strength, we lack wisdom, we lack endurance and joy. So the gifts are given to help us with all those things that we collectively lack in. And the Holy Spirit manifests himself in the gifts. And as he does so, he draws us into greater conformity to Christ individually and collectively and in deeper unity with each other. And we may be hesitant um, about spiritual gifts. It's understandable. But we can pray that the Lord will empower us with gifts to, um, to use them expressly and intentionally for the good of others. We can pray to use utterances of wisdom and utterances of knowledge to help brothers and sisters understand the truth about God's word and apply it to their lives even in specific situations. We can pray to use faith not necessarily saving faith, but persistent, enduring faith that God gives that we might believe he will work mightily in a particular situation in someone's life in the church. We can pray and lay hands after COVID for healing for those in the church family that are sick and unwell and have chronic illnesses and mental illnesses and diseases. We can pray that God would work miracles in supernatural ways to affect change in our church family. We can pray that the Lord will cause us to prophesy that we might receive divinely uh, originating revelation that is pertinent for someone to hear specifically, that God might speak specifically to them in their specific situation. Amen. We can pray that God would give us spiritual insight to discern and distinguish between spirits and things that are uh, in the spiritual realm um, that are used to deceive brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we can pray that the Lord would give us the gift of tongues and interpretation for the building up of the church or even the building up of the individual believer um, and their relationship with the Lord so that they may be even more useful in the body. Amen. I don't suggest these things lightly. <laughs> these are all the gifts from verse 8 to 10. Um, I don't suggest them blindly, but I suggest them nonetheless because we are invited by Scripture to not do these things blindly, but to test these gifts uh, and to submit any kind of practice of the gifts to the authority of God's Word, His Scripture, the Bible. Yet we need not be afraid of the Holy Spirit working in and among us because He wants to do so for our good. It's not scary. He wants to do so for our good. 
the Lord desires that together we might enjoy more of him and grow in deeper participation with each other as we grow, um, as we enjoy more of him, that we might do it together. Oh, that we would be a church that pursues these forms of service for each other and that the Lord would work powerfully among us. He has worked powerfully among us. We're still here. We're still running during lockdown. We're still functioning, even though members sometimes get burnt out because, expressly because the Lord is here and working in us. But we still lack energy. We lack urgency. We lack inspiration. We lack desire. We lack wanting to pray. We lack wanting to hear the word. This is a collective thing, not just individuals. We collectively have lack. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would quicken within us for our good and for his glory. Because the Holy Spirit has given diverse gifts, diverse spiritual gifts for us to use for the common good. So may we pursue them, not for our own advantage, not for our own good, not so that we might be spiritual, the spiritual ones, the special ones, but for the good of each other. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we know you want to work mightily among us, and we pray that you would do so through your spirit in spiritual gifts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.